0: So today we're going to meet uh, Jane Miller, who is executive uh, director of, and the founder of Healing Companions. Jane is a licensed social worker in private practice and she specializes in trauma survivors. Jane is also a dog trainer with expertise in training psychiatric service dogs. Jane is the uh, author of the first book that was written about psychiatric service dogs. And she brings all these various areas of expertise together uh, as she leads Healing Companions, Inc., uh, which is this nonprofit organization that focuses on saving the lives of shelter dogs that become highly trained psychiatric service dogs and transform the lives of those living with severe mental illness. Jane, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, it's really nice to be here. Nice to see you, Judy. Good to see you and talk to you again. It's been a while we've all been kind of huddled in our <laughs> environments over the last several months. So Jane, tell me about um, what, for the, what led to Healing Companions and what made you realized, realize that dogs could be trained to assist uh, human beings with their emotional and, and uh, psychiatric or psych- psychological problems?
1: Yeah. um, You know, my journey is is a long one, but I'll start and I'll try to be as brief as possible. In fourth grade, I came home from school and I told my mother I wanted to be Jane Goodall. And I always knew that I wanted to work with animals and humans and bring that healing ability that, that we both can grow together. And I didn't know how that would transpire, but I was really dedicated to figuring that out from fourth grade on. And when I ended up going to school, graduate school and undergrad, I studied psychology and biology, neurosciences, animal behavior, studied red kangaroos, I became a hawk handler so I could work at raptor centers and and rehabbing birds. So I've always had this really deep desire to save the lives of animals while empowering people to live more fully in their own lives so the two that how it all came about was my first golden retriever um when she was four years old she was diagnosed with fibrosarcoma a very rare form of cancer in dogs that uh needed 16 days of radiation and the radiation was near my office that i worked seeing clients And so the vet that I was taking her for radiation suggested that I not drive her all the way back home and have her be alone after the radiation, but to take her to work with me. So here was this dog golden retriever filled with energy and just a real desire to live. But you could tell because she was shaved and she had radiation points on her body that she was going through some really hardships. But she would come in and we called it she'd make the rounds in in the uh waiting room where she'd drop a toy of hers in every person's lap and that waiting room that was filled with people that were dealing with depression and all kinds of stresses started giggling and laughing and having a blast but what really happened that transformed my life and my clients lives was umaya and how she that was the name of my dog and how she changed the whole milieu of, of my therapy office where my clients would get on the floor with her and they would be start, they would start talking to me and telling me really severe incest histories and emotional abuses and physical abuses that they'd never even discussed with me previously, but they were petting her and it helped them be able to feel safe so they could share what was really going on for them. That's amazing. Yeah, it really was, and really? she she mirrored my clients. And what do I mean by mm. that? So if you came into my office and you were angry, she would run to the other end of the room and she'd get her bone and she'd start chewing it voraciously. If you were sad, she'd bring you a box of the box of Kleenexes, and she just did this with intuitively. Huh. This is she was so connected to emotions. And my clients were very disconnected from their emotions. And so they would look at Uma and say, gosh, I didn't realize I was stressed. And they'd see her and they'd be like, oh, I guess I am. Wow. And So it really had a huge impact on my work as a therapist. But sure. from there, in the mid 1990s, the American Disabilities Act was enacted and that changed the whole
0: landscape of what was available to people with mental health issues. I want to ask you about that. Um, so you mentioned that your dog just had this intuitive ability to help uh, your patients. What, how do you select a dog that could become a psychiatric service dog? What are the, what, you know, where do you, first, where do you get them? Where do, you, where do your dogs come from? What age is best? And, and what are the what are those characteristics that make for the best uh, psychiatric service dogs that yeah. you for healing companions' uh, clients?
1: I think for me, the decision that I made very early on was that puppies just aren't, weren't going to work for our organization because most of my clients couldn't handle having a puppy. They have a hard enough time taking care of themselves. And so I and I also felt that most of my clients that found the need for psychiatric service dogs or people that came to me that needed psychiatric service dogs um wanted to have a dog that also had gone through some difficult times because there's a connection then. Uh-huh. So my mission was that we were going to save the lives of shelter dogs that can transform the lives of those with mental illness. And so I got very involved in many shelters in our area and rescues and found one that I've been very blessed with having gotten quite a few dogs from. So to get to the dogs now, we like to have a dog be over the puppy stage. So it's about one and a half, maybe two years old. And the reason I say that, because you don't want to start when the dog is too old, because then the longevity of the dog is is less... Um, The work, the work, the dog will not be a a functioning, fully trained service dog for two years. So we would like to have dogs start a little younger, but not as puppies, so that they can have a lengthy period of time of being able to be a working animal when they're still healthy and young. Right. So what do we look for in dogs? It's a great question. The age is is obviously important, and I have some clients that prefer really large dogs, other people that prefer mid-size. Most of our dogs are in the 40-pound to 50-pound. But the temperament is what's so critical. Mm. And what do I mean by temperament? So I hate this terminology, but we want a dog that's bomb-proof, meaning doesn't get uh, disturbed by thunderstorms or loud noises because these are dogs that are going to be going into places that most dogs don't go in like grocery stores, like movie theaters, where there's noise, where there's pump, popcorn on the floor. You know, these have to be dogs that really can handle all kinds of distractions and remain calm. Um, and we also look at trainability. And so I do a very extensive temperament testing of the dogs. Mm-hmm. And then um, we... we the 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 shelter we work with they are really wonderful and I mentioned this to you earlier in in contacting us when they have a dog that's one and a half to two years that they see as having the potential and then their dog behavior consultant and their dog trainer assess the dog as well so if you've got more than one eye on it Um, and And so
0: can do they handle the basic obedience training for the dog
1: no no not at all not at all i mean some some of the dogs already have some which is Mm -hmm. ideal that's perfect you know they already know these are dogs that got were given up maybe because of economics or you know all kinds of situations and right now with covid we're seeing a lot of dogs that have a lot of training behind their under the belt that are going to shelters um so we've been very fortunate with getting dogs that are really good healing and sit, sitting and coming and all that stuff they do work on getting the uh, working with the dogs to have them well trained enough to be be more adoptable so they're trained enough to heal and be walk you know able to be walked without pulling and things like that right so it does vary that part um and some of the dogs do need some basic training before we even start our process of what we call public access training what is public access training That includes things like teaching dogs to tuck their tail. No, no dog can have a tail sticking out in a restaurant if they want to still have a tail by the end of the dinner. So we teach them how to tuck their tail because lots of dogs don't know how to do that. Uh, We teach them how to not shake. I don't know if if any of your audiences have dogs, but when dogs get up after they've been lying down for a while, they shake. It's called a shake off. And, in the middle of a restaurant, you don't want a dog shaking. So we teach them not to shake, um, which is a kind of impulsive re- reflex they have. We, we take them to the uh, grocery store, to the movies, all kinds of places that that individual will be wanting to be able to go to. And with COVID, obviously that's not, not people aren't going very many places, but right. normally public access training, we want to make sure the dog can deal with getting in an elevator, going up and down steps, every surface that dogs come in contact with, but they're okay with their feet being on that surface. So some floors are very slippery.
0: Yes. And I I think that we do have a a video that demonstrates a little bit of the specific training that is done. And would you like to set that up for us? Yes. Um, this, This training is with a dog named Penny and Laurie.
1: And Laurie has severe anxiety issues. And what you're going to be seeing is two things. One, you know, one of the things that I think people think is that we're training the dog, but really we're training the human. And we're we're really working on building that bond between that human and that dog. And to go back to Amaya, the reason Amaya was so intuitive was because she had such a bond with these people Mm -hmm. and connection to them and would read them. And be very aware of what was going on for them and so here are dogs that have been through their own traumas sometimes now placed with people that have been through their trauma been through trauma and there needs to be time where they can really learn how to communicate with each other and every dog is different some dogs communicate best with cues that are hand signals some verbal some people do that better you know so we really work with helping the individual the person Learn what are the body languages of dogs, because dogs don't speak English, obviously. Um, and how, how can we read when they're stressed and not stressed? And how can they read when we're stressed?
0: That That's sweet. It looks like a, a very sweet dog. What kind of breed is Penny?
1: Oh, Penny's a real mix. They all are mutts, um, but she's got some terrier in her. Um, yeah. and she's just sure. delightful. She's a very smart dog. She n- knew how to open those drawers, without us really t- teaching her. I mean, it was amazing. She, yeah. um, okay. So the training that you saw there, uh, pen, uh, Lori has severe anxiety about going into banks. She had a very b- bad experience at a bank. And, um, so Penny has made it feasible for her to walk in and do banking. Which is pretty phenomenal um and how has she done that one of the things you might have seen is that her paw was on laurie's foot putting pressure on her foot to help her stay present leaning against her leg to make help her be present Mm. um she'll she'll do a lean she'll do a nudging on the her fist when she needs it um and Penny has really made it possible for Laurie to function at a much higher level.
0: And no, typically, what um, at what stage in the dog's training is the human a partner uh, introduced? Um, okay. they and start working
1: together. That's at the very beginning. So when the shelter contacts me, uh, then I look at the dog and decide what client would be maybe the best batch for that dog, and we do what's called a meet and greet. And the person meets the dog. We have about three hour, two, two or three hour really temperament testing and, and meet and greet. And then they'll usually take the dog home for the weekend as like a fostering the dog just to see if it's the right match. And then they most of my clients have kept the dogs that they did the meet and greet with. And then we start the training within about a week after they've gotten adapted to their new home. Sometimes two weeks we give them to get adapted with living with each other and, and get used to being not in the shelter. And
0: and, then, how, and, and how are the um, the human candidates uh, evaluated in terms of whether they're suitable for an animal? Great question. Well, first thing, it's
1: the most important thing is they have to qualify before we get anywhere under the American Disabilities Act. And what that states is they have to be severely limited in their ability to function due to mental illness. So it's not what your diagnosis is. So one person can be uh, have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Another person can have post-traumatic stress disorder. One is limited in their ability to function due to it, and one is not, maybe. So we have to really make sure they qualify under the American Disabilities Act for a psychiatric service dog and really need this dog to help them navigate their way through their days. And so to answer your question, um, the human goes through a pretty intensive intake with me. They fill out an application and we do the intake. And the intake isn't just assessing them, but it does entail that. It's also assessing whether or not they can take care of a dog, and whether or not they have a support system that, if something did happen to them, that the dog would be taken care of. Because to me, the dogs come first.
0: You know, they don't have. Yeah. Voices. Yeah. What are the um, what are what are just some of the briefly some of the conditions that uh, people have, some of the the dysfunctional behaviors or problems that they have that yes. the psychiatric service dogs can help with and that Healing Companions strives to, uh, to change, to transform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think this is the part of the process that I am the most passionate about because I'm a psychotherapist and my a dog trainer. And I love the creativity that it takes to really look at what are the symptoms of that individual. So for example, we train dogs that will specifically mitigate the effects of that individual's symptoms. So every dog is tailored specifically to their handler. Unlike guide dogs, every guide dog does pretty much the same thing. Every one of my dogs has been taught different skills, different tasks for that individual. Now, let let me give you some examples of that. So for example, someone might have nightmares and we train the dog to wake them up from the nightmare, lead them out of bed, Go, go retrieve the remote control and bring it back to them and drop it in their lap. And they then turn on the TV. And once they have no longer are affected by the um, nightmare, leads them back into bed. Someone else might have uh, symptoms of bipolar and they have a medication when they start entering into a manic episode that they need to take. The dog knows to go retrieve that medication and bring it to them in a bag that they have in that drawer that we've demonstrated how they, they learn how to open drawers. Someone else might have been raped and, and it was at night and it was dark and be terrified of going into their home when it's dark. So we can train the dog to do dogs to do room checks. And that means they go into every room and dogs have this wonderful knack of letting you know if something's off in a room. They'll come back and they'll, you, you can tell something's not right or we can train them to turn on the lights in every room and make, make it so that the person can come in not in the dark and feel safe. Um, we train the dogs to interrupt uh, and dis- distract someone when they're having behaviors that are obsessive compulsive behaviors. So I had one client specifically, she would stay on the computer for too long. And when yeah. she was on for too long, she'd start like getting angry at the computer, you know. Bashing it down, and her dog was trained to go get its leash and drop it in her lap to get her to leave the computer and take her for out him out for a walk.
0: That's incredible. That is. It is, just, it is amazing.
1: It is amazing. And, and that that same individual, a great story. Um, her dog was a Katrina rescue dog, and um, was being placed to be a service dog because they had great skills, but. One of the things this dog had a problem with was storms and especially wind. My that client had been raped the night of a storm and it was raining. So how do you deal with two? Now we have two of them that have fears of storms and and need each other, but neither one of them can handle it. So what did we do? We took we went back out we went outside with a whole bag of treats and started dancing in the rain and in the wind. And threw treats all over the place for the dog, and from that point forward, windstorms were ecstasy for the dog and for the human because they were playing. You know, they were made it fun and made it feasible for them to be able to function. Um, you know, triggers. People that have PTSD have triggers. Like if they had something horrible happen at the grocery store, they might get start to have a panic attack. So what can the dog be trained to do? Nudge, paw, lean, and or lead the person out of the grocery store till, it's, till the person is finally calm enough to go back in if necessary. Dogs are also taught to keep people socially distant. So the dog, if you're in a line at the grocery store, we train the dog to lay down behind you so no one gets too close to you.
0: Great for social distancing, right? Exactly <laughs> before COVID days. Yeah. But, you
1: know, what's so amazing is that these are folks that are sometimes very uncomfortable being out in public, and being in social environments. And here they're coming into a store with a dog. They're clearly they're they're not they they're not they're not in a wheelchair. They have an invisible disability, so it really stands out that they're coming into a store with a dog and people ask lots of questions. And what's so interesting is that most of my clients are terrified of talking to people. But because they're talking about their dog, it's amazing. I have clients that now share all kinds of things with people in the stores because they're, they're focusing on,
0: on the dog. Which they love well you bring up such a great point and i think anybody who has a, a dog or a cat for that matter a pet an animal a connection in there that's part of their family uh certainly during covid we have all noticed that how important these family members these four-legged family members are to us um and i wondered if you could share a few techniques uh for stress reduction and relaxation that people, even with their own pets, even though they may not have a disability, but a way that they can show their animals that they are safe and secure and get that benefit for themselves as well. Yeah, I would love to. Um, This is one of my favorite topics. Um, Many
1: people and dogs and animals have anxieties themselves. And so one of the gifts of dogs is that when you focus on the dog's breathing it can help your breathing and so i teach uh i teach qigong which is a meditative martial art for humans and that that really focuses on getting energy flowing so a lot of the techniques i teach with dogs are breathing techniques and what we call therapeutic touch t-touch acupressure points so dogs right behind their ear below the occipital it's a point called Shen. and it's a point that, depending on the dog, um, can be very calming or it can also be activating. And one ear usually is different than the other ear. Most dogs, it's the left ear that's calming and the right ear that's activating. So you just make little small circles very slowly behind their ears, and you just notice or behind one ear at a time, you notice whether or not that calms the dog down. And we put um, the calmness on cue. So some of my clients call it "go easy or calm down. And so when you practice this with the dog, you're really helping them calm down, but it helps you calm down at the same time so we really look at the breathing of the dog and the human and once they they get uh slowed down both of them it's really beautiful because it's a much it's a real beautiful calming and i have a lovely video up on my website of us doing this technique with uh, finola one of the dogs that i trained
0: oh that's great Um, you have you have uh i think in the comments uh your website is there yes. Yes. yes yeah, healing yeah. yeah.
1: And we have a webinar that was uh, done um, quite a while ago, but it's, it's now, you can still get it and it's taped. It's not live. But you will learn all the different techniques I ta- teach regarding stress reduction techniques and stress and relaxation
0: techniques. For, for humans, and- humans and animals,
1: yes. That's and if great. they want me to work directly with them, they can set up a consult appointment to help them learn how to help their dog. And I help dogs with behavior problems, with all kinds of training issues. So people can contact me for all kinds of stuff. But specifically, the stress reduction... And, you know, relaxation is so critical, especially now with COVID. And one of the things I said to you was a lot of people are adopting dogs right now
0: because of COVID.
1: They're they're on cue. Quiet. Um, And so we have to be really cognizant of now we're home all the time. And all of a sudden we're going to go back to work. So we have to plan ahead to prepare our dogs To know that it's okay that we're going to leave at times and we'll come back. And just practice that. Go out for a walk without the dog for a half hour and see how the dog does while you're gone. Um, And to really make sure our dogs um, are are comfortable with um, being in the home without us. As well as... Um, what was I was gonna say um, making sure that you have a job that's flexible so that you can if you can't walk your dog during the day that you can hire someone to come and walk the dog or make sure the dog gets exercise because once you are now back at work it's gonna really
0: transform
1: the life for the animal so you got to be aware of how to prepare for that
0: right and you uh, so healing companions your uh Located in Ohio, northeast yes. Ohio. Yes. Um, and so you are providing services to people in your general area. Um, are 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 these? Is this kind of service available other places in the country, um, or do you consult to people that are in yes. different places? Yes, that's
1: been my big uh, hope to have many healing companions incorporated all over the country. Um, And so I'm providing for mental health professionals, um, consults that will help educate them about the healing power of dogs and how they can explore this with clients that they think might benefit from a psychiatric service dog. And then working with dog trainers at the same time as well. So um, my biggest goal is to really expand having more people educated and how to do it um, ethically because I think that's really critical. Um, This is a real commitment from not only the trainer and the psychotherapist, but also from the client. Um, They're taking on a dog, the care of the dog. And that's just one thing I'd like to point out, Judy, which is so beautiful. The, The process of training their own dog is so therapeutic. And that in and of itself is really healing and powerful um they learn how to communicate they learn how to treat an animal with respect and integrity and trust and many of my clients had never felt love so this is the first thing they've ever loved and it's so magical to see the bond that can happen between someone that's been severely abused and right. and dog uh, so
0: well, the time it takes to do this the intense intensive one-on-one customized individualized attention that is needed to do this, um, it must cost a fair amount in order to do this kind of a match and do this training. What What is the average cost for one uh, training, one dog and human to partner?
1: Well, that's another wish I have. Someday I hope it's covered by health, med- medical health insurance because, you know, health insurance covers for meds and for wheelchairs and all these things, but not for dogs that really can enhance and, and give people the opportunity to give back to the government, get back to life, uh, to the world by living productive lives, by being able to function and being able to work. So what's the cost? The average assessment of, tra- of service dogs and um, guide dogs are sometimes more expensive, but it's $20,000. That's a lot of money. So we have devised our program a little differently than many of the other programs where they, they start with puppies and they have breeding programs and they are placing mostly when you think of guide dogs or dogs that all are trained to do the same things. You don't need our kind of um, tailoring to that individual. Um, So they, they can, uh, you will then get your dog that's fully trained at the end of the process. So it's 20000 then. Our program, you pay as you go. And for people that don't have the ability to pay, fundraising is what we live on. And um, this is why we need CoinUp and people to really think about, you know, a few pennies can make a huge impact on a, on a person's life. One in five people have mental illness sometime during their life. And when you think about COVID, and the impact it's had on uh, the frontliners and everybody else that's being impacted by losses and and fears, the it's it's mind boggling to think how many more people are now struggling with mental illness and not getting what they need. So right. it is great. The money is minimal. Uh, is is not as available as we'd like. And especially right now with COVID, people aren't donating the way they usually will be. Or, or usually have been, but CoinUp gives the opportunity for people to have uh, some change when they use their credit cards, which most of us are now living on because we're not going out shopping. We're right. having it delivered to us. So it's a great opportunity to really make a huge impact on it, whether maybe you're just helping the dog have food, you know, and, and that can make a huge impact on someone's life that is just be- beginning to get back to work because they have a dog now.
0: Well, and it's also the um, the thing that we love about what we do at CoinUp is that it's a collective giving. So it isn't just your uh, 5 or 10 or $20 a month that you would be donating. It's, you know, dozens and hundreds of people donating. And that is the money that goes every month to organizations like Healing Companions that can really make a difference. I mean, just getting even a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars a month makes a huge difference. Oh,
1: the impact is grand and it's amazing. And it is about the community. And one of my word, one of my phrases that I love is that we wanna take the ill out of illness. So we wanna change mental illness to change it to we, mental wellness. And we have to all come together to help each other be able to live more fully and be more productive and have a a higher ability to function. I have clients that now work full-time that were really locked up in their homes. And this is before COVID, you know, and and now have full-time jobs and are making a living and giving back to society. So it's really amazing when you think about the difference it makes and the amount of money it's saving that they're not on social security disability anymore, that they're now giving back to the to the government and to
0: society, it makes so much. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Well, this has just been such an inspiring uh, thirty minutes already, um, and it's it just is always great to talk to you. I love to hear the stories. I love to hear the success stories. Uh, that and you can find a lot more of them at, on healingcompanions.org. Uh, and look at their success stories, read all about it, see videos, uh, learn some tips for yourself. And, of, and that is, and, and of course, um, if you would like to donate, uh, you can click the link in our caption uh, and sign up to coin up and, and donate Roundup or pick a fixed monthly amount and donate to Healing Companions to make more success stories. Uh, Jane, you're, you're uh, just an inspiration and amazing, and um, I'm happy to have you as a friend.
1: Thank you, Judy, and it's been such a pleasure, and I just want to say I love what I do and I'm very blessed because this is my passion, this is my life, and to see the changes it brings in pe- into people's lives and into the animals' lives is just, how how could it not be amazing? I mean, it's, it's just inspiring in itself. And I'm very blessed. So please feel free to check out my website, healing companions I'm sorry, Healing-Companions.org. And feel free to contact me anytime I'm available, and I'd love to share my thoughts and my my input. Um, I travel all over the country, nationally and internationally, or I used to, um, giving seminars and giving webinars and presentations about the healing power of dogs. Thank you for this opportunity. You
0: bet. Thanks, Jane. And thanks for watching. We'll see you again next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you.